Good morning and welcome to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host, and today the business at hand is the business of parks, of urban environments that are greener and cleaner as a result of active and passive parks. And we've learned from environmental planners to mental health experts to environmentalists and to kids of all ages that parks are an important feature of any urban environment. They can help the environment to not only be uh, cleaner, uh, greener, healthier, but we've learned that uh, parks can contribute to an increase of property values, both commercial and residential, and that's some of what we're going to be talking about today with Michael Hellicky, the Executive Director for Park Pride, an Atlanta-based parks advocacy group, design, planning, uh, and execution. And so welcome to the Business Hour, Michael. I'm glad to be here. Now, um, starting off with this over- overview, uh, with an overview, rather, of Park Pride, uh, give us the, uh, the broad brush uh, description. Uh, I said planning, uh, creation, and execution. Uh, but give us a, a little bit more detail on what you consider to be the mission of Park Pride. Sure. So the mission of Park Pride is to engage the community to activate the power of parks. And just a little bit about those words there. Notice that first off, the um, important role of the community. So Park Pride is not a membership organization. We're involved in getting people involved in becoming um, engaged and actively involved in their local neighborhood parks. Um, so our focus is really working through the community. Uh, we have a, a brochure uh, that puts out the words, uh, Better Park, Stronger Communities. And so I like to say, you know, I've worked in the environmental community for the past 20 years, and I came to Park Pride thinking of it as an environmental organization. And I've really seen that there is an intangible quality of the organization, that it's not just about improving the parks, but it's really giving communities a chance to demonstrate cohesion, getting to know your neighbors, doing something together to create a better sense of place, and then that, in effect, transforming the community and strengthening the community. Well, one thing we we have seen uh, are reports from around the country about uh, communities banding together, uh, oftentimes in association with an existing park um, or a uh, school playground, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, to create a, a an active park for uh, children, but also in some cases uh, working with uh, the local jurisdiction to identify land that can be uh, transformed into a passive and or active park. And you really do get this sense that the community is coming together. You've got private and public partnerships. Right. You have the immediate neighborhood, the extended neighborhood all coming together. And um, it, it really, from the get-go, uh, creates a sense of community because people are pulling together to create these parks. Uh, tell us a little bit about that volunteer base. Let's jump right into it because you operate with an the support of an army of volunteers. Right. And so let's operationalize it in terms of uh, how you might uh, engage a community uh, or or rather let's even step back and take a typical scenario uh, in a community uh, where either there is no park or the park is not a very comfortable environment, we'll say, that you're going to transform into uh, a much more healthy, comfortable 
park environment. Mm-hmm. I, I, let's walk, walk us through well, how it works. I, I think that it's not an atypical situation where people come to us um, in part because of the fact that they don't see the park as a positive, but they see the park as a negative. There's um, you know, um, issues of lack of safety and concerns over um, the park not being a safe place. There are issues with uh, trash and um, things along those lines. So oftentimes um, a citizen in a, in a community will come forward to say, whose problem is this? And they might go to their city council person to say, you know, I want someone to fix this problem. And um, oftentimes that city council member will say, I'd like to introduce you to Park Pride. And what Park Pride really does is get people actively involved in being part of the solution, being part of the change they wish to see in the world. So our organization's been around for 25 years. Uh, We're co-located with the Parks Department. We're a separate 501c3 nonprofit with our separate board of directors. Um, But one of the things that's interesting about us is we're kind of that liaison between the community and uh, the Parks Department. So, And we're able to navigate the bureaucracy so we can find out kind of who's the person you need to talk to about different issues that are going on in your park. And oftentimes it does start with that point of things aren't exactly right either because of the fact that it's a negative or just it isn't a place that's used because the demographics have changed in the community and um, the, the, the park that was um, once a vibrant part of that community no longer serves that purpose. Um, so people go to the, the uh, get involved with the, the the situation to find out you know who can do something about this, and we're really there to show how people can play an active part of that solution. So we have a friends of the park program. Um, we have a master. Uh, um, our person that works in that effort, Ayanna Williams, has a master's in social work with a background in community organizing. So her job is really helping to cultivate the the um, the social capital within that community, getting people to see what is the potential and their appetite for uh, getting involved in their community. Um, we also have a registered landscape architect on staff that help communities come up with their visioning plans. So once you get beyond um, some of the negatives and starting to say, what would we like to see? Um, we have a person who has a background in landscape architecture and that kind of expertise that doesn't tell the community what they need, but listens to the community and helps to articulate what what. Um, he's hearing through his conversations in a community-based visioning process to develop a vision plan for that park. In that case, it's interesting, you know, the city owns the park, but our client in that situation is not the city. It's the, the, the customer, and that is the community. And sometimes there's divergence where the community wants to see different things happen where the city's not entirely on board. Those visioning plans are not contracts with the government. Those are our efforts to articulate the aspirations of the community of what they'd like to see. They turn into renderings, physical pictures of before and after, as well as a sequencing to say how could we do this in different phases. And then that feeds into a regranting program where we're able to provide matching dollars where foundations provide us with a pool of resources that communities can apply for funds, and it's a matching grant, so it's not just providing all the funds themselves, but providing some seed capital to help those visions become realities. So it's all this effort of building capacity um, really from a kind of a crawl, um, walk, and run over where communities come to their parks and helping to really uh, transform what those parks currently are to what they can truly become. So it could actually start off as a complaint. Yes. Uh, and it can be a complaint to the city, and the city engages Park Pride. Now, Park Pride must do a really good job of acting as a liaison uh, uh, to the extent that the city would engage Park Pride as a partner. Right. 
And in many cases, probably all too few, uh, there are some cities with uh, parks and recreation or offices of sustainability or offices of environment um, that can more actively play the role that Park Pride uh, seems to play here in Atlanta. And you must maintain really good relationships with the city to be respected enough to be engaged. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, that relationship yeah. with with and is it strictly with the city of Atlanta? Does it ever involve uh, any of the uh, ten uh, metro counties uh, mm-hmm. or beyond? So the the focus is the city of Atlanta and unincorporated DeKalb County. So we work in both of those jurisdictions. Um, last week we adopted a new strategic plan, and part of what we put out there in that plan is to look at. Um, additional jurisdictions where we might be able to play a role, either in the existing way where we, um, and in the case of not just City of Atlanta but DeKalb County, our friends at the park person spends um, two days out of the week in their offices, um, um, again, embedded within that environment so that um, she can navigate and knows all the different folks that are involved with the Parks Department and things along those lines. So I think we're open to the idea of working in additional jurisdictions. We also have a Parks and Green Space Conference coming up on March 21st. Um, that this is the 15th annual Green Space, uh, Green Space Conference. Um, and that's something that's a little bit more regional in nature. We'll highlight examples. Um, for example, there's a session that includes um, both um, examples of um, innovative things that are happening in parks from other parts of the country, but even closer to home in Sandy Springs, the Playable Art Park at Abernathy Way is one of the parks that's being featured um, along with Play Chastain and Chastain Park um, and uh, a grandparents park, which is in Wichita, Kansas, but an example of a kind of multi-generational playground that's that's been set up so we draw from with the conference thought leadership for the region and for that matter we've had city council members from chattanooga and other places it's the largest conference of its kind in the southeast and though our jurisdiction where we focus is atlanta and DeKalb, um we're open to the idea of expanding uh, we've had some recent conversations with um, folks in macon and augusta in part because of people that work within those administrations that used to work in either Atlanta and DeKalb, and they're asking the question, why don't we have a park pride? So we're talking with them. In those types of cases, I think we would be more likely to help them start up a group because I think um, and Park Pride, at the very core of working with Friends of the Park groups, we recognize that all politics is local, and there's some ways of getting people that are of the community being part of the solution is very much part of our DNA. Uh, but we, as a mission-based nonprofit, would love to share our model and help other groups learn from us. And then in the Atlanta region, there might be ways that we might actually expand our scope from the current ju- jurisdictions in which we operate. So how, how active um, is Park Pride in supporting either other um, municipalities, or in some cases, like it could be a county, right? It could be a regional yeah. authority like the Atlanta Regional Commission. Sure. Um, and and to what extent are you uh, involved in, in in Georgia Southeastern, and, and have you gone beyond? Because I would imagine, and I'd like to think that anyone listening in other states are going to be asking that question, why don't we have a park right. park? Um, I mean, such is the nature of this program. If we actually share some uh, favorable aspect of what I call urban sustainability, uh, which is an area that that we'd like to focus on uh, at the business hour, 
you're going to have um, more and more communities wondering why their own parks and recreation departments aren't capable of doing what it is um, that Park Pride does. And it sounds like you get to play the pivotal role. Let's take a park, for example, like the Abernathy Linear Park you yeah. mentioned. Yeah. Um, let's talk about who some of the partners are. I mean, it's probably a good case study of sorts. Right. Did you get to play the pivotal uh, role in that, or was no, there another group? We're really highlighting the work of others in that example. The Sandy Springs uh, Conservancy um, is really the, the group that has been the lead in that case. Linda Bain, who recently um, stepped down. They've got a new executive director, but Linda will be part of the program, and she will be the one that will be presenting at the conference. Um, but and, and the conservancies are another, another way that we work Work, um, even within our own jurisdiction, um, a big one of the um, examples of economic development in parks um, in Atlanta. If you mention those two words, it's not long before you'll hear reference to historic Fourth Ward Park, which is right near uh, Pont City Market. And um, we play a role of actually providing the administrative support um, on staff where we have a person where a portion of their time is dedicated to that conservancy in part so they don't have to pay for a full-time employee to do those types of administrative services. And so I see Park Pride again as we're somewhat of a gap filler where – we're there, and for that matter, our Parks and Green Space Conference, we have groups like the Trust for Public Land and the Conservation Fund that are both financial sponsors. They help us in curating the curriculum. And the community has really taken ownership of that being a conference that's not just the Park Pride Conference, but it's the Parks and Green Space Conference. So we really take the long view in terms of the way that we engage with the community and really looking at, since our inception with the City of Atlanta, we don't come down with a etched-in-stone um, approach. We're good listeners, and we come in and fill gaps in different places that they're needed. So that's that's kind of how we work. As far as the question of how this fits into the... We're going to take yep. a break here, uh, sure. Michael. Uh, let's take a breath here. Yep. And uh, when we come back, yep. uh, we'll we'll continue with what you were just about yep. to say. Sure. We're here with Michael Hellicky, the Executive Director of Park Pride. We're drilling down into parks and urban environments. We'll be back with Michael right after this break. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call. And I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. 
His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Michael Hallecky, the Executive Director of Park Pride, an Atlanta-based organization that, as you've heard, is helping communities to create uh, parks and park space, green space, passive and active uh, parks alike. And we had mentioned one uh, park, uh, the Abernathy Greenway, which is a very interesting, it's a linear park uh, adjacent to a, a thoroughfare that was expanded and uh, I was asking you whether or not you played a pivotal role in the formation of, of that park. And, and I should have known that, of course, it was the Sandy Springs Conservancy who has done a, a marvelous job. Uh, Linda Bain, the uh, former executive director, and Billy, the new executive director, um, are doing a wonderful job in helping to identify uh, what can become uh, a passive or active uh, park and uh, it's a really difficult thing sandy springs as well healed a community as it is uh, has uh, a dearth of uh, green space as many communities do so so creating um, a park uh, is so much easier said than done just from the economics uh, and the value of land and that is why working with conservancy groups uh, or even uh, organizations like the Trust for Public Land. And right. I'm not sure to what extent you work with a, a TPL. Yeah. And uh, and so we're going to get down into the economics as as well. But I want to let you finish what you started saying. Um, uh, we were talking about the old Fourth Ward, which is a great example of. It's a space that didn't uh, it quite exist as right. park like. Right. And so um, let me let you continue on, and let's uh, talk about that as well. So just a, a real just for those that aren't familiar with the the um, example historic fourth ward has a large um, detention pond that is a cornerstone feature for that park. It's on the Atlanta Beltline, which is one of the most uh, transformational green space um, projects in the country. And it's across from um, what's now known as Pont City Market. It's the old Sears building, which was something that the city of Atlanta owned at the time. And the, one of the challenges, um, and something that oftentimes people don't realize is part of the reason that the park was created was because of a uh, stormwater issue and a flooding problem problem that made it so that um, the basement of Pond City Market frequently flooded. Um, it was an issue that would uh, make it so that the city was not going to be able to uh, redevelop that site and sell the property until those issues were addressed. The city was moving forward with a pipe solution uh, that was um, um, a very expensive endeavor. The community engaged in the conversation and really asked about the idea of looking at the, the stormwater as an, as an asset and saying that if a, if a detention pond were created in a park uh, next to Pond City Market, it could actually help to not just make it so that you could turn that property um, into um, you know a redevelopment opportunity, but really looking at the surrounding community and the close proximity to the Beltline to really do something catalytic. And what's amazing about that project is initially the city was very resistant. Department of Watershed Management was not interested um, in moving down that path until they did the math. And they actually found that it was cheaper to do the park 
this amazing park that has a serpentine trail that goes over the park, uh, the green infrastructure elements. It was cheaper to do the park than the pipe solution that would have left that area the uh, industrial wasteland that it was before. And so uh, the city moved forward with this project. Uh, Trust for Public Land was critically involved in the acquisition efforts of of, um, um, moving forward with that project. And that was one of the big wins on the Atlanta Beltline um, early on with uh, the the East Side Trail. And that whole community, that whole area has been transformed, um, not just with Pont City Market as the, the, I think, the largest redevelopment project since the recession uh, that we've seen, but looking at the multifamily. Um, developments that have happened there. Amley has put, I think, three different um, uh, buildings over in that area and a number of other different developers. Um, it's really transformed and created community where there was none before and has really become an example of some of the different ways that parks can really leverage um, a, a much bigger sense of um, not just what's happening along, you know, on, on ponds, but really looking at the whole rebirth of the in-town experience. Well, <clears throat> we can uh, move in a couple different directions here. Yep. I mean, one is the economics of, of uh, parks creation. Uh, the other is the public policy associated with, with how that, that came to pass. Yep. And speaking of transformational, uh, it, it's truly a, uh, a gleaming example of transforming uh, part of a community uh, from uh, blight, to uh, to green to uh, a thriving uh, healthy environment the bell line project which you mentioned uh, in my opinion uh, it's absolutely at very least the largest scale urban uh, revitalization urban sustainability oriented project uh, in, in the US there are some other examples. I'd be curious to know what you think about what's going on. You know, green space in Dallas, for example, is, is, is of a large magnitude. Yeah. Uh, and, and there are some other efforts. But this uh, project uh, between uh, the Ponce Market and the Old Fourth Ward, it's a great microcosm. It has so many aspects yeah. of, of public policy, of environment, of uh, uh, Water, um, sewage, and uh, stormwater. Um, l- let's step back for a moment and looking at the old Fourth Ward, uh, for example, you can't just say, hey, let's take that environment and turn it into a park. There, there are people that have to be brought together, you know, uh, various partnerships, uh, and this this might be a good point to to drill down into the economics because you know we're talking about in many cases millions of dollars somewhere uh you know a, right. a few hundred thousand here and a few hundred thousand there or tens and tens of thousands adds up uh in many cases to millions of dollars but in this case uh it was one of the most cost effective uh, you said that uh, the city recognized this as uh, – was this the city or DeKalb County? This was city of Atlanta. Okay, yes. the city recognized it as a cheaper uh, solution. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, uh, you know, I, I, I've been pleased to see that so many uh, communities are recognizing water retention uh, facilities – as being part of a larger amenity, you know, they're, they're lakes, they're bodies of water, right. they're, 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 they're pretty, uh, to look at, um, they're, they're fun to jog around. Um, so let's talk about the Old Fourth Ward for just a moment and, uh, tell us how the money comes together to make something like that happen. 
You know, I, I think that in each case you find that there are different um, – you know, in that case, you actually had leverage in the fact that the city had this um, – the Pont City Market is the example – that they had a very specific incentive to do something there that gave that you know, that adjoining property um, over where the park is um, greater leverage than what you see sometimes in other, you know, in other situations. So I think one thing that's important to think about is that each one of these, each one of the, 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 both the big wins that you see, like a, like the example of historic fourth ward, but also the neighborhood scale, that everyone is different. And um, um, nonetheless, um, what I'm, what I think is most interesting, you mentioned Dallas, and um, I wanted to share, um, and just given your audience being kind of a, a national audience in the Dallas example, we had a speaker come into town named Candace Damon from HRNA, who's out of uh, New York. And um, she had um, her firm had been hired by the Dallas Parks Department to quantify the economic value of the parks in Dallas. And we gave her time at an economic development and parks roundtable that we hosted last week to talk about the example of what they learned in Dallas. And this was something where the Dallas Parks Department had hired HRNA uh, to determine the economic value. And when you think about how do you quantify the economic value of parks, there's a uh, probably a dozen different metrics that you could look at. Um, and even some of the things that are public health related, where parks have an impact on obesity and heart disease and mental health, that those have corresponding economic values. But in Dallas, they looked at just three things. They looked at real estate values, they looked at the impact on tourism, and they looked at the environmental services that parks provide and the corresponding economic benefit. And this wasn't the indirect types of things like um, um, looking at the air quality types of benefits. It was the examples like the historic Fourth Ward where you could deal with the stormwater issue through a gray water solution, a typical pipe solution, or you could look at green infrastructure and the idea that parks can serve as sponges to soak up stormwater. Um, and in this example, the, the Dallas um, uh, park system, which um, it's worth noting, and it's similar to Atlanta, that compared to peer cities, underinvests in its parks was actually delivering a seven to one um, return on investment uh, for every dollar that was invested. So for every dollar that was invested in the park system, the 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 parks were delivering seven dollars of return on that investment for every dollar that was invested. And this was something that the Parks Department had commissioned this in part to look at the other cities that are investing more in their parks to say they're actually leaving money on the table. There's money that they could be getting a greater return than what they're already getting, um, than what they're doing now. And this was really to get city leaders to pay attention to this economic argument for parks, that it's not just something that's part of the city brand and things like that. It's not something that's an operational cost of the cost of doing business for cities, but it's an economic development investment that if you invest in your parks, it does so much more for your city in so many different ways. Have you seen the uh, the Dallas uh, green space? Have you have you actually been able to to tour that? Space? I, I have not, um, and it, it, or at least I have, but it's been some time ago, so I, I have was, not been there um, uh, most recently. So. I was trying to look at it to see if uh, there were uh, up to date Google. Uh, aerials uh, or any aerials, uh, and also to to get my arms around the magnitude of it. It just sounded like it was very qu- quite large, mm-hmm. um, and and I, it seems to also be somewhat linear. It follows uh, uh, the river. Uh, is that right? 
there there are a number of different um, um, specific parks in Dallas that I've heard that have been evoked recently. There's a, a Clyde Warren Park that's kind of a connector uh, uh, or a, a Cap the Interstate Park that's being highlighted. So there's a number of different examples that are interesting. And also, just as it relates to the Atlanta conversation, I know that there's a trip where um, folks from the, the Atlanta Regional Commission do a Pier City trip each year called the Link Trip. This year, they're going to Dallas. So it's a conversation that I think people are looking to Dallas in a lot of different ways. You mentioned the linear trails. What's interesting about that is one of the things that we heard from the Dallas example um, was that the return on investment for trails was much greater than just parks. So where parks deliver a 7-to-1 return on investment, the trails in Dallas actually delivered a 50-to-1 return on investment. And so um, looking at the Beltline, looking at Path 400, the South Fork Conservancy has an idea connecting the Emory area to Georgia 400. These trails, um, I think, are part of a way to really step up our game in terms of delivering that return on investment. I'm going to have to have you um, uh, drill down uh, with us to talk about what the nature of that return on investment really is. I mean, and it does range from from health uh, to clean air. We're here with Michael Hallecky, the Executive Director of Park Pride. We've been talking at parks and the benefits of parks in urban environments and the role that Park Pride plays. We'll be back with Michael right after this break. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host, and we've been talking with Michael Hellicky, the Executive Director for Park Pride, an Atlanta-based organization that helps in the visioning uh, of parks, uh, working with communities to engage 
volunteers, public-private uh, partnerships to create uh, passive and active uh, park and park-like spaces. Uh, we were talking uh, very specifically about a couple of projects here in Atlanta uh, that exemplify that transformational uh, move from not just underutilized, but oftentimes uh, areas which are are, are suffering uh, from real blight. Um, you know the the entire city, or not the entire city, the, uh, tremendous sections of of um, Detroit, for example, could really benefit from. And I'm certain that they're working hard mm-hmm. um, with uh, Park Pride like and urban sustainability groups to to, to make that change. But it's very difficult when the uh, the blight is of that magnitude. Uh, nevertheless, uh, the moving parts are, are 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 significant, and that's what makes the efforts of Park Pride to me so exemplary mm-hmm. of 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 smart urban sustainability. Uh, and again, I said early on, you know, you're very well respected by the entity that you work most closely with, the mm-hmm. city of Atlanta, in mm-hmm. this case. Uh, because you're you're actively engaged by them, and you get to play a pivotal and instrumental role in 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 managing uh, some of those moving parts. But we have learned that there are numerous benefits to uh, having a green space, passive and active uh, parks in a given urban environment. And you mentioned uh, that that the studies revealed in Dallas that there was a seven-to-one return on investment when they looked at it more closely in terms of the space being uh, a more active, part of a more active trail system, uh, all of a sudden it was 50-to-1. And a lot of people aren't able to um, envision what those uh, intangible um, elements are uh, that are part of that return investment. So share with us, you know, what it is that we've learned uh, that a community derives, and, and I said, you know, ranging from healthier people to clean air, but but let's drill down here for a moment. So so in the case of Dallas and the things that they looked at and, and looking at that 50 to 1 return on investment, the two areas that, and they, they're really the three areas that they focused on were the environmental benefits, um, the benefits as it relates to tourism, and then the benefits that related to real estate. And when you think about the idea that a linear trail compared to a, um, a you know, kind of a landlocked park of, of whatever size it is, um, you know, um, you know, f- per square foot, um, trails are touching a lot more real estate. So they're going through different areas and providing frontage areas. And we've seen in the example of the Atlanta Beltline where suddenly the back of the restaurants became the front of the restaurants. So the whole orientation of the commercial um, uh, spaces along the trail completely reoriented as a result of that trail. And what's amazing about that is it changes the whole paradigm. So suddenly you're not looking at um, the scale of the restaurant by how many parking spaces you have out front because people are walking to that location in droves in many cases much more than they're showing up by automobile. Um, they're biking to those locations. So suddenly there are things like having a bike rack. Pont City Market has a bike valet. And this isn't just something that they do uh, for photo ops. You go and look on a, on a weekend, and I see pictures all the time on social media that show a packed bike valet room that's filled with bikes. 
So it changes the whole model. And I think that that's where trails give us this point of connectivity. The important part also from Park Pride's uh, standpoint is, um, and this is something that also was borne out in the Dallas study, was it isn't just the connectivity of the trails, but it's having places to go on those trails that's important. So looking at the idea of how parks work in combination with trails is actually much more transformational. And it also gets to the idea of uh, of something else that the study found was that program spaces, regardless of type, trail um, um, and different types of parks, program spaces delivered a much higher return on investment than non-program spaces. So if you look at those three different elements together, parks, trails, and program spaces, it's really creating this network of green spaces and ways to get between those green spaces, either by walking or biking, and having places worth going to along that network that transforms a community. Define program spaces. So um, program spaces are places where there are um, activities that are going on in those different locations. The Beltline, for example, does things like yoga in the park, for example. That would be an example of program spaces. You look at not just having the basketball courts or the soccer fields, but ways that groups are using those for organized um, um, activities and things like that. So it's things that are planned. Planned activities that either uh, are are, uh, scheduled on a regular basis or on a one-time basis and uh, help the the trail itself to become a destination, and which is in fact what happens with a park that isn't necessarily a part of something like the Beltline. The park becomes a destination. Right. And so when you talk about improved uh, economics and the benefit of having a park that attracts more development. I, I, I mean, there's this this uh, entropic effect, if you will, um, where uh, you, you build a park, it uh, becomes an amenity that people want to um, go and uh, experience, and then developers recognize, oh, uh, having uh, commercial and residential development in that area in proximity to the park is a good thing. Right. And one of the things that was pointed out in a uh, a, a conference um, year before last, the uh, Sandy Spring Conservancy, in fact, um, hosted uh, their annual conference and brought uh, Ed McMahon mm-hmm. uh, from the Urban Land Institute. And you may have been at this conference. Um, and uh, he talked about that uh, that very concept of green to gold where you know green has um, economic benefits uh, and and is consequently uh, golden and said that one of the things it was it had to be an aha moment for those first few urban planners that realized oh you build a uh, a golf course and a golf course community and the homes surrounding the golf course uh, increase in value or you know are, are more expensive properties but really, a very small percentage of any given community uh, get to to derive the benefit uh, uh, if they're not golfers uh, or members of a private right. golf club. But when you build a park, that percentage increases. Many more members of a community get to derive the benefit of the park, and property values increase right. around that park. Right. And we've seen that historically um, uh, Probably the preeminent value, uh, example in the U.S. Uh, you know, you have uh, lots of examples in Europe, but uh, Central Park in New York. Mm-hmm. If you examine the property surrounding Central Park and the value of those properties, um, they're sky high. And um, also, you have um, uh, the Beltline, which will have a uh, wherever Park Pride. I'm sure 
can help to create a park so that it is this higher activity node, uh, you will then have these pockets of development surrounding, uh, like a necklace, you know, with pearls, uh, if you will, pardon the analogy, but that's probably an appropriate analogy. And so it's, it's multiple layers of economic benefit that, that people don't, uh, uh, don't really see, uh, necessarily at a glance. But one which we've learned about uh, through the years, and so I can imagine that uh, the work of Park Pride is going to become a hotter and hotter commodity, um, and you're going to find yourself um, uh, consulting with uh, more and more uh, cities around the country uh, in due time. Mark mm-hmm. my words. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about um, uh, whether or not you believe that um, uh, Atlanta uh, was given a. a <clears throat> there was insight enough to engage uh, Frederick Law Olmsted years ago mm-hmm. to to help design the area around Jewett Hills or or Jewett Hills itself, right? And that uh, th- there were parks and green space uh, uh, that coincided with that plan that extended even beyond the, the, uh, the Jewett Hills, Hills area. You know, the parks around Ansley, right. for example, here in, uh, in Atlanta in, that are in the center of town. I think it was probably very overlooked. Uh, you know, we, we, we probably should have sustained um, the creation of parks. Right. You know, we're, 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 you know the last 25 years, uh, it due in large part to Park Pride, we've come to realize, wow, that was something um, that uh, is just a real uh, community asset. Um, do, do you agree that, I mean, did, did Frederick Law Olmsted start our... Um, our initial appreciation for parks and our love of parks? I think he really is the name that stands out, and I think that his ethic is still here today in terms of the way that we look at um, the aesthetics of green space. Um, And for that matter, the first park in Atlanta was Grant Park, which was actually before, um, uh, it was a little bit later after that that we actually had the work that he did in Druid Hills and the, the park that he directly played a role in with Olmsted Linear Park, uh, but it was um, his sons that actually carried forward with efforts at Grant Park um, as well as Piedmont Park of doing work to kind of um, leave that kind of Olmsteadian footprint um, um, on Atlanta. And so those are three different parks that I'm aware of, and there may be more that um, are, are directly um, influenced from uh, the work of Frederick Law Olmsted. And I think nationally, just looking at the way that we looked at these public spaces and uh, public spaces in urban environments as being an important part of healthy cities, um, early uh, park advocates thought of parks as the lungs of a city. And I think of Frederick Law Olmsted when I think of that concept, that it makes it so that cities can breathe. Um, and I think that that both has a direct environmental side of things, but there's also a psychological part of the role that parks play and what he brought to the urban experience. A- absolutely, and, and and it has the effect of also protect, pr- protecting uh, watershed environments and the right. urban forest. Right. Um, those linear parks, which were often along small little creeks through the neighborhood of uh, Druid Hills and uh, Ansley, and we see it uh, in other little uh the blue heron, uh, little yep. green. Uh, there's a small linear park uh, adjacent uh, 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 to uh, that uh, uh, site. Uh, you know, Peachtree Creek, um, uh, Nancy Creek. Uh, we're beginning to recognize that uh, we should 
play a more active role in preserving some of those um, watershed environments, and and, and that leads to a, a focus on cleaner water. Yep. Uh, and 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 just a a, a direction uh, and, a, and a movement toward preserving. Uh, the urban forest well beyond trees to include uh, uh, vegetation as well, which is one of the things um, that that Park Pride gets involved in as well, is working with landscape ar- architects to literally determine what the vegetation of a given right. space will be. Uh, when we come back, uh, uh, Michael, I want you to share just a little bit about what you think um, uh, some of the strengths are of your programs. Uh, you've got Adopt a Park, Adopt a Beltline, Community Gardens, the Parks Visioning Process, and we've already talked about volunteers, but I want to have you share with me what it is that you think that uh, are the strengths of, of Park Pride. We're here with Michael Hallecky, the Executive Director of Park Pride, and we'll be talking more about parks and green space right after this break. This is Michael Connolly inviting you to listen each Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern to my show, Our Constitution, only on America's web radio. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Dr. George from Peachtree ENT Center. We've won patient care awards and have the highest patient recommendations because we believe in practicing medicine the old-fashioned way. Practicing good medicine is based in listening to the patient and making a care plan that is individual. The best medical care is given when there is a strong doctor-patient relationship built on mutual trust and respect. At Peachtree ENT Center, we believe in taking care of the whole patient because healing is more than writing a prescription. Whether you have problems hearing, have frequent throat or sinus infections, from the time you call our office and speak to a real person, you'll be treated as an individual and not as an ailment. During your visit, you will not be rushed and all your questions will be answered. When possible, natural treatments will be recommended to fix the problem. If surgery is recommended, cost-effective, minimally invasive treatment for snoring, sleep apnea, or sinus problems will be offered because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Michael Hallecky, the Executive Director of Park Pride. We've been talking about the work of Park Pride, and we've also been talking about the larger uh, benefits of parks in urban environments. Uh, w- one of my areas of uh, of interest, uh, that something that's near and dear to me, is is, is smart um, uh, urban development and urban sustainability. Just because uh, healthy cities mean uh, economic prosperity, it means uh, psychological environments that are comfortable to live in, that are safer to live in. Uh, you have cleaner air. There, you, you, if it's if it's a place where you can walk and jog, you have a, a healthier um, 
uh, uh, citizenry, and 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 those are all the things that really Park Pride is 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 is, is helping a city to um, to achieve or a, a, a metro environment. And you have specific programs um, to, to help achieve these things. Uh, to tell us about uh, either the Adopt-A-Park uh, uh, project. Uh, we've been talking about the Beltline, so we can talk about Adopt-A-Beltline uh, and the Community Gardens project. Let's, let's talk sure. about those areas. So um, I mentioned earlier the Friends of the Park program, that we're not a membership organization. We get um, folks to get involved with, the friend, with, with their local parks as a Friends of the Park uh, group. And they will go out and do volunteer cleanup days at those parks. They'll also work with us to develop their vision for their pro- for for their parks and uh, play a role in both raising dollars as well as championing different park improvements. Um, the Adopt the Beltline program really takes that Friends of the Park program and takes it to sections of the Beltline. So the Beltline was very smart in deciding that rather than trying to replicate what we do at Park Pride, they contract with us so that we actually provide that same kind of service that we provide in local parks so that groups can come forward and adopt segments of the Beltline. And they do volunteer cleanup projects and other types of things to be those stewards for um, sections of the Beltline. Um, the adoptive pro- uh, park program is really just kind of a smaller scale version of that as well. Um, and the community garden program, um, we, um, when you think about the reasons that people buy a house, uh, one of the reasons they do it is because they'd love to have a little garden. And um, Park Pride uh, championed legislation to make it so you can actually have community gardens in the city of Atlanta parks. And uh, DeKalb County has a similar um, ordinance that they pass. So we help communities that want to create par- um, community gardens in parks. And when you think about the benefits of having those community gardens, um, one of the things that you're getting are eyes on the park. So people that are showing up and cultivating those gardens and things along those lines, they're providing benefits for the other people who come out um, to use that park. Parents with their children uh, coming out to those those areas, having some gardeners that are there on a regular basis um, also pr- pr- you know, gives that sense of other uses that are complementary and things along those lines. And um, in the community garden program, you'll have groups that either as a group cultivate a community garden for collective shared benefit from the people who are um, you know, toiling and to create that community garden. There's also um, approaches where groups, you know, have each one has their little square. In some cases, it's a combination of the two. So um, we're involved with, and I think community gardens are a great way that we interact with the local food movement. Um, and they're not the only way. A lot of the different parks, Piedmont Park, Grant Park, um, have uh, farmers markets that people come together um, throughout the summer, um, showing up, getting local produce, um, grabbing lunch, and other types of things. So uh, there's a lot of different ways that we see synergies between, and it isn't that there are community garden people and park people and there's the cycling folks and then the walkers it's people are all of these things and so park pride recognizes that Uh, we do a community garden tour every year where we take people on bikes as well as on tour buses to go around and to look at these different community gardens and parks tell us about the um Parks Atlanta Rescue Coalition. So the Parks Atlanta Rescue Coalition is an effort that started over a decade ago, um, and it was really an effort where we I mentioned we've been around for 25 years, and I think of much of the fact that we try to create local friends of the park. Um, we're kind of the uh, friends of the park group for the whole citywide and for DeKalb County, for that matter, uh, for the park system as a whole. And much in the way that we're the best friend of the park system, um, sometimes your best friend tells you things you don't want to hear, and they tell you because they're your best friend, and that's part of 
the relationship. So uh, one of the roles that we play is to show up down at City Hall every year to make sure that there are people wearing green shirts that say I Heart Parks that are there uh, showing that there's an active constituency that wants to make sure that we maintain the parks we have and to really voice the need for more parks in Atlanta. So we play a role both on the advocacy side of things as well as the programs and services. Now, um, I, I would be remiss if we, uh, if I didn't have you touch on the upcoming uh, na- uh, uh, annual conference. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about what uh, prospective attendees can expect uh, at the upcoming uh, annual conference. Sure. So the Parks and Green Space Conference is March 21st. Um, and every year we take a different theme and we explore some of the topics that we've been talking about today. So um, a couple of years ago we did a focus of green infrastructure in parks. It was called uh, P- From Pipes to Parks. Uh, creating green infrastructure um, uh, through parks. Um, this year, our theme is Parks and Play, a conversation for all ages. And so with this um, theme, we will be exploring um, parks as play environments. And again, with the conversations of all ages, I mentioned earlier in the program, Grandparents Park, uh, which is something that AARP helped to create a park, um, and they'll be telling their story. Um, there's a guy named Robin Moore who literally wrote the book on outdoor learning and outdoor play environment. So I have two young kids, and they will spend, when we go to a park, about 30 minutes on the playground, and they'll spend another hour down in the creek getting muddy. And um, so we look at the um, natural environment um, of parks as a play environment as well. It's not just playgrounds. Playgrounds are a part of that. And for that matter, on playgrounds, there's some really innovative ideas. The Playable Art Park, the Abernathy Greenway is a good example that um, there are different ways that um, that uh, playable structures can also be art. So we'll be exploring all of those different topics at the conference. We also have a play day at Arabia Mountain that's happening the Saturday before the conference. The conference is the 21st and the Saturday before. We're going to have a group of folks that are showing up where we'll have geocaching. They'll be um, laughing yoga. So um, um, apparently there's a certified laughing in yoga instructor there, which I just like to say. Um, stretching, breathing, and laughing. And stretching, breathing, and laughing. And um, in other different ways that people will be encouraged to play out at Arabia Mountain. So that's from 10 to 2 the Saturday before. Um, at the conference, we also have the Children's Garden uh, that's under construction. And we're going to have kind of a, a behind um behind-the-scenes hard hat tour of the children's garden that's being done as well as hearing from the botanical garden on the focus groups and other things that led into that um, uh, amenity at the botanical garden that has yet to open. And I should add that uh, you can Google Park Pride and it'll take you to uh, www.parkpride.org um, mm-hmm. Uh, but also Park Pride Atlanta. Any of these will get you to the Park Pride uh, website, and uh, it's a very informative website. What did you study as an undergraduate? Uh, journalism and English. I was a communications um, um, major, and um, uh, for that matter, I did take a class on environmental issues and had a very um, a persuasive instructor who was retiring from the School of Public and Environmental Affairs who really encouraged those that were passionate and cared about the environment to not only get degrees um, in um, environmental studies, environmental policy, and things like public administration, but to find other talents and skills that could help with the environment with the idea that we need um, kind of a, a, a variety of tools and disciplines and creativity to really move the needle. So I studied you know, journalism and English, but I did remember that class that I had and found myself gravitating towards a career in the environment. Well, it must have 
of, in some sense, uh, touched your heart and um, the position that you have uh, today is uh, re- re- representative of uh, integrating your heart and your head, which yeah. is what I consider to be true self-actualization, if you will. Yeah. And, uh, and you've done it. You're, you're the ideal guy in many ways. I, I, I said that to you before the program. Um, but uh, Park Pride is uh, lucky to have you. They, um, they've done some really good work, and it sounds like uh, the conference is going to be a great conference. Yes. So I encourage listeners to go to the website, learn more about it. I want to thank you for taking the time to be on the program, Michael. I enjoyed it. We've been listening to Michael Hellicky, uh Executive Director of Park Pride. We've been talking about parks and the multiple benefits of passive and active parks. You've been listening to the Business Hour here at America's Web Radio. We're on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Have a great weekend. Get out and play in a park. We'll see you on the radio next week. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.